Now, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10. We're going to talk about zeal. Zeal is good, uh, but, but this is bad. That's a shorter version. We have a longer title coming up in a bit. Um, are you there? Romans 10. Here's my new favorite commercial from AT&T. You know, Lily, the AT&T girl. Um, some of you don't even have TV anymore. Some of you don't watch commercials. This is one I like to watch. It's Lily. She's in like, it looks like Times Square in Manhattan. And that there's a, she's projected on the side of a building. There's like a gazillion people watching. And she goes, hello, America. And she announces, all our deals are for everyone. And then it scans to the crowd, and they're all excited. Yay, yay, yay. But then she has to say, everyone except for you, Jacob Pearson. And the, film, the, the camera goes to Jacob in the middle of this crowd. You can barely see him there. He goes, well, with me, like, what did, what did I do? I want you to think, how does that fit into this sermon today? How does that work? We're going to come back to this, obviously. But uh, my favorite commercial. I happen to love zealous people. I think they bring a lot to the table. I think they're the opposite of defeated people or people who have no input, no pizzazz, nothing to contribute. Zealous people, they just bring a lot to the table. They remind me of the word enthusiasm. Uh, I, I showed you this sign I made once before about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. It's really going through a rough spot in ministry and this happens and, and uh, just... You know, you're hitting this low spot, and you go, wow, what's going on? Where do we go from here? And so some friends of ours had a place at uh, Log Cabins right down by Pipeline. They said, we're off island. Go enjoy. So they gave us their house for the weekend, whatever it was. And I'm in this study one morning just doing devotions, and I look up, and, and I see this word uh, on, uh, you know, like a wooden sign on their bookshelf, enthusiasm. And I thought, man, I really like that word. I think that that communicates a lot, so I made my own sign. Did you know enthusiasm? <clears throat> it comes from a Greek word, and for the first 200 years, the word enthusiasm was used. It was used primarily for Christians. It was used in Christians who are basically filled with the Spirit and bring a lot to the table. Wow, that guy is very enthusiastic. That girl is really enthusiastic for the Lord, and that's like what zealous people are for me. It's, oh man, I like it when they enter the room. Now, on the other hand, they can be annoying. They, they're annoying if they're too zealous or they're too enthusiastic. And that, that they're all such gung-ho that they basically bulldoze over people who aren't on the same page or, or they don't have the Lord's timing involved yet. They're just, just uh, you know, stop, slow down. I, I think of timing. It's like, you might be stuck at a red light and say you know, there's eight cars in front of you and the light's red and all of a sudden the light turns green so you have permission to go but you can't just floor it and just bulldoze your way through. You have to wait for those first eight cars to get going before you go and that's what timing is all about. So even with enthusiasm, even with zeal, we need to have the Lord's timing. So when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, He's writing about a very zealous Jewish nation. He said, my goodness, they are crazy with zeal. They just don't have zeal coupled with knowledge of what the Lord's doing. So some people can have all zeal, 
but no understanding what's going on, and they're annoying. On the other, other side, you can have people have all knowledge, but not an ounce of zeal. And you know what? They're not going to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. They, they, Satan goes, don't worry about them. Oh, they got it all made. They're just sitting there judging others who are doing something. But what we want, I love this longer definition, longer sermon title. When zeal for the Lord meets understanding of how the Lord moves. That's what we want to look at today. So we're just going to go, the first part is just four verses, Romans 10, uh, 1 through 4. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Paul the Apostle saying, brethren, when you read brethren, I want you to think tone of voice. He's saying, guys, I love you. I want God's best. I'm not mad. I'm just coming alongside the blessing. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant and not stupid, they're ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They're trying to do it themselves, what he's saying. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. So right away, he's sharing three things. He goes, you know what? I really love these guys. I, I, I care for them. I, I have this heart for them. It's not like I'm just saying, forget about you guys. He goes, no, I want to see them in heaven. And then he says, secondly, I, I pray for them. I pray. Do you pray for people you're sharing with? Be because for me personally, I struggle here. I find this very challenging to consistently pray. Now, in our home, our Ohana groups and all, we've had the Simpsons share about the oikos and, and those around you and who you're you wanting to share with on, on purpose and to be praying for them. And maybe you were like, you listed all those people, but now it comes time to pray for them. You, you see, this, this gets me. If only we knew what was happening when we pray, we never cease to pray. A guy named uh, Louis Giglio uh, said that. So what happens when we pray? You know, I'm going to do a little rabbit's trail and be spontaneous. Because we've been having prayer meetings, these once a month prayer meetings that are just going off the chart. Remember last week, Sarah Nakamura shared an exhortation of, of going there, inviting people and participating. Well, it was happening. Uh, one thing that happens, some, the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. Not crazy-like, but uh, a way to stir things up. And I want to bring up Jacqueline Stover. That means now. <laughs> Jacqueline. There's stairs on this side. You wish you wore that dress now, didn't you? Yeah. Just. All right, Jacqueline, this is what happened. Uh, during the prayer meeting, I had this word from the Lord that said, hey, yeah, some people here have a scripture, and the Lord wants you to share it because it's basically a prophecy for other people here. And as soon as I shared that, the Lord showed me Jacqueline is one of them, not just the only one, but one of them. And so for the next five minutes, we're having all these people sharing scriptures, which is powerful. And others are there, and, okay, that's for me. But Jacqueline was silent. Now I'm going through this mind game. Are you going to say something? Are you going to call her out? 
Or what if you say, Jacqueline, is it you? And she goes, no. You know, that, that'd be a bummer. But then finally I thought, if I don't do anything, I'll never know. So I finally go, hey, Jacqueline, do you have one? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I was about to whisper it to Akira and tell him to say it. So I was kind of scared, but it was actually... No, go ahead. It's better. <laughs> what were you telling the Lord? No, 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 you got to. Okay. Um, I was saying, go <laughs> okay, I was scared. I Do you was want nervous. me to teleport you? Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> I'm not good talking in front of people, but I was basically telling God, okay, if this is really what you want me to say, um, <laughs> make a bead of sweat come down my forehead. And I kept feeling for my forehead, and there was no bead of sweat. So I was like, well, <laughs> I guess it's not me, but... So she goes, okay, Lord, if that's you, make me sweat right here. And all of a sudden, she's as dry as can be. She could do a deodorant commercial. And then she's about to turn to her husband, cutie pie over there, and say, hey, you need to share this verse. And what happened? You called me. And? I wanted, it was the verse, it said, uh, it was the verse, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I wanted to... I had it on my heart for like five minutes, so I feel bad that you were being annoyed with my name in your head for five minutes because <laughs> it was a long time. It's not the first time you annoyed. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, just, uh, then somebody after the meeting asked you, Ezra asked you something. You just told me this this morning. Oh, no, Akira, okay, sorry. After the meeting, Akira asked me This is me so if, well rehearsed. I know. So just, we didn't rehearse this, obviously, so... So after the meeting, Akira asked me if we and Mike, uh, Mike and I had spoken about it before. If I went and told Mike that I had a verse, and that's why Mike asked me. During, did that make sense? That okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. And you didn't. I, we didn't. No, we did not. It was the Holy Spirit. But it you, was God. But you grew. Yeah. And now, consequently, the next time, you'll be more ready to just share and step out and go. I know this is from the Lord. It's not for me. It's for someone here, and you share. So you got the gift. You got the gift. <laughs> She's like a daughter to us. But, that, you know, in prayer, we're growing in this area. And it's exciting so many of you have said, man, I hear about your guys' testimonies. Back in the 70s, we started a Bible study at Stonebreaker's house in Sunset Point, and man, guess what? It's happening. It's happening. There's, there's a stir going on. We want you to be part of it. I know there's a little rabbit's trail, but sometimes rabbit's trails are good. So Paul starts out with these three points. Remember his tone of voice? Brethren, I love you. I want God's best for you. He says, you know, I, I pray for these guys. I really care for them. I pray for them. And then he says, I bear them witness is the third thing. So what he's saying is, I, could, I can speak on their behalf. Yeah, I bear them witness. They have zeal. Now, when I go to India, I've gone there a lot. And often I, they put me in these ultra-Pentecostal churches, which is hysterical. Because I'm not ultra-Pentecostal. And all these things are going on that I don't really agree with. But you know what? I come out of those meetings all the time. Those guys have zeal. And they ha I need some of that zeal, and so do you. 
We could use a fresh stir of zeal. And so here Paul's going, I'll say this about those guys. Man, they got some zeal. It was not a lack of zeal that's their problem, just a lack of what God was doing in their midst, primarily with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says they're ignorant. They're not stupid. They just don't get it. They just don't understand what God accomplished there on the cross. So their zeal has been uh, likened to a train going full speed ahead and it gets off the train tracks. We'll see in a minute how that does more damage than good and how Jesus has to follow our steps a lot and clean up some bloody messes. Now, they'll even have these trigger words. You know what a trigger word is? You hear it and you just lose it. So in Acts chapter 22, Paul finally gets this chance. Paul the Apostle's talking to the Jews in Jerusalem. He's been wanting this for a long time. And he says at one point, he goes, hey, you know, God sends, sent me to the Gentiles. That's a trigger word. It triggers a response, bad response. And so as soon as he said Gentiles, the whole place starts to riot. Could you imagine me right now in this sermon saying a word and all you guys go cuckoo? You just go, but you're sitting here. I don't have any trigger words. I bet you do. How's this one? Mask. Or if you're pro-mask, go, jab. You don't like the jab. Mandate. All these trigger words. Maybe it's just in my household. Just someone I'm married to. But, you know, we have these trigger words that just this is response and it's just not healthy it's not godly and so they'd have these trigger words so so how how does this work how if i have zeal but not knowledge what does that look like well it can be very territorial and so at one point in the scriptures we, we have here in mark chapter 9 some apostles are cruising down the road they see somebody they don't know these guys they're not part of the in crowd they don't they're not, with Jesus, like, we're with Jesus, okay? And they're casting out demons. But it's not done right. They're casting out demons in Jesus' name. And so they reported to Jesus, and they said, we told them to stop. And here's Jesus going, why would you do that? <laughs> this is kingdom living. It's not your ministry and nobody else has it. And it's not like, well, listen, they're setting people free they're meeting needs they're they're doing things in the power of the holy spirit they're doing it in the name of christ he says you can't do stuff like that and soon after that be against me so how do we get territorial what if somebody's out here on cam highway witnessing about jesus christ and they're not part of this church are you going to go and say you have to stop that we're being that's our ministry it's kingdom ministry guys it's for the kingdom which is his kingdom, not our kingdom. Others are defensive when witnessing. You know, you get, uh, you get a challenge or you get some smart aleck who just ticks you off. Do you know what the apostles did, two of them? Hey, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? How about some burnt offerings, some crispy critters right now, and we've got scriptures to back this up. We know in the Old Testament they did stuff like this, you know, they didn't like something, called down fire, pew, everybody's gone. Can we do that? I've got scriptures to back that up. If scriptures were bullets, you'd have a gun and be shooting people. And so Jesus said, do you ever see that? He goes, 
You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Meaning, okay, you're zealous, but you got the wrong kind of zeal. Meaning, I'm not doing that. I'm not into that. I'm trying to build bridges, not literally burn them down. Sometimes we get proud. We get cocky. And, and so you know, all these little kids are trying to see Jesus. Hey, we just want to be blessed by Jesus. And, you know, a lot of ministry would get accomplished if it wasn't for us getting in the way. So here are the kids trying to, you know, the parents, Jesus, bless my kid. And, and they go, get lost, kids. Get out of here. You don't have time for people like you. Then there's this guy named Blind Bartimaeus. Well, he's Bartimaeus, but he's blind. And he hears that Jesus is coming down. And he starts yelling out, Jesus, over here, over here. And they're telling him, hey, just be quiet, Bartimaeus. Meaning, we know why you're blind. God's judging you. And again, they're just proud, like they have some superior knowledge. Then you have, you have traditions. Maybe this is my favorite. Traditions. And so Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, you know, you hold your traditions above God's commandments. Your church traditions, you know, like, that's not the way we do things. This is how we've always done things. And he said, your traditions are more important, more sacred to you than the commandments of God. So in the same chapter, that's what I love about this. So we're still in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 7, and Jesus wants to blow their minds about traditions of, this is the only way we do things. So he calls up a guy who's deaf and dumb. He can't hear, he can't speak. Watch what he does to this guy. He, Jesus puts his fingers in his ears, and then he spits uses the spit and touches his tongue and says, be opened. Now, I want to demonstrate uh, what this means. So, Azariah, could you come up? I want to spit on your tongue. No, just kidding. But what, if I did that, wouldn't you go, oh, you know, any nurse, and, oh, you can't do that, cooties, and just, and you, what do you think they were doing? What in the world? Jesus, that's not the way we heal people. Yeah, you know what? You don't heal them at all. He's stepping out. He's just blowing their minds. The whole context is on challenging traditions, challenging the way we always do things. And he says, watch this. Be opened. Don't you think he got their attention? How about this? What if Jesus touched hearts this morning and said, be opened? And you're thinking, no, no, I'm just here. I'm recording the game. I'll get home at halftime. It'll be perfect. And here the Lord says, I'm touching your heart. Be opened. Here's another one. When we think we know it all. Oh, gosh. You have to have Peter in there, right? Peter and the Lord. No, Jesus. <laughs> Cute. You're not going to the cross. I forbid it. He actually rebukes his Lord. You're not going to the cross. Do you remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have your interest on, on things of the Lord, but on things of man. Now, Peter, we know, was married, right? He, he and his wife, he'd take his wife traveling. So imagine, you got to put Peter in your context. Peter goes home for dinner that night, right? And his wife is stirring the porridge. Hey, so how was it with Jesus today? Not good. 
He called me Satan. <laughs> well, I've been calling you Satan for years, but what else? You know, I'm just like, can you imagine the other apostles? Do you picture this when you, hey, get by me, Satan. I'd be going, oh, <laughs> Peter, you're on your own, dude. Get behind me, Satan. You're not interested in the things of God. I think we could be accused of similar things. How about this one? You got something to prove. Peter's all empty promises. Lord, these other clowns might leave you. I'm here to the end. And yet he's sleeping through devotions. He's sleeping, Jesus said, to his three main guys. Can you give me an hour? You pray, I'll just pray right over, can you do this for an hour? Falls asleep. So now he hears, here they come. And he sees Judas giving Jesus away with a kiss. And he sees all these soldiers and he's got a sword in his arm. God, a sword in his hand. This is dangerous, Peter. You're in, a, you're in a fog. You just woke up. And you go, I got to prove. I still got it. No, you don't got it. You're blowing it. You're full of empty promise. You think you have it, but you've drifted. You're more sleepy than anything right now. And it says he cut off the, the high priest's slave's ear, his right ear specifically. His name is Malchus. I think how this happened, here's Peter. He's a fisherman. He's not a swordsman. He's not touche. And, and I think what happened is Malchus sees this sword and he goes like this. And Peter goes, Poosh, and just cuts his ear off, leaving a bloody mess. This is what zeal without knowledge accomplishes. To me, this is the icon of zeal without knowledge. Peter holding a bloody sword. And this guy, I, that's got to hurt. Your ear just got cut off. Jesus steps in, picks up the ear, puts it back in place. He's healed. I'd like to think Malchus went home that night like this. He's holding his ear like, what just happened? Why are we arresting this guy? He's wonderful. He healed me. But I don't want to live as a disciple and be constantly making bloody messes that Jesus has to come from behind and go, okay, Mike, and start healing those kind of things. So what is it like to have zeal with knowledge? What is it like to have the real zeal of the Lord coupled with a knowledge of what God's doing? That's what they did here. They didn't know, uh, I'm sorry, what was, their, what was their problem in chapter 10? They didn't know what God was doing with salvation. So we pick it up in verse 6. For Moses, I'm sorry, verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Remember how many, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to be a... Nauseating here, 613 laws. It's not just 10, 613. And the Jews are thinking, if I just keep those, I'll be good enough to go to heven. So he said, Moses wrote about the righteousness of which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Good luck with that. We know from Jesus in the New Testament, the whole idea was to show us we can't keep them. They were like a tutor in school showing, okay, you failed. The, the, the man who does those things shall live by them, but verse 6, but the righteousness of faith, it speaks in this way. 
Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. I don't have to go to heaven to, to get forgiveness. And uh, that is to, to bring, Christ, bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? Who's going to go into uh, the abyss and say, okay, this is what I need to do to be delivered? He says, no. It's nothing like It's so simple. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Now they're going, that's too simple. I have to do something. So if you were brought up, uh, there's no free lunch, if that's your motto in life, you're going to struggle with grace because it's free. So it's, it's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So he says there in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can you imagine saying, no, I, I've, 60 years now I've been trying to keep all these laws and I have failed. I gave it my best shot. And now you're saying, I just have to believe and confess. That kind of confession would often take place at baptism, water baptism. So we just had a water baptism recently and give people an opportunity, why are you getting baptized? Why do you want to do this? And you're talking about, well, basically, I've been cleansed on the outside. I've been cleansed on the inside, sorry, of my sins. And I want to show people on the outside what God is doing on the inside. And they confess, if you will, that at, at baptism. So you said, um, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It's interesting, I was reading this morning in devotions about Jesus coming back, and there will be some put to shame, not believers. He said, you know what? If you're ashamed of me and my words right now, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. But he's talking about a whole different category of people. No, <laughs> I've not been ashamed of you, Christ. I've not been ashamed of your word. So whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. That would have started a riot in some places. But they're listening now. Okay, there's no distinction. It's the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And then he ends with this insane promise. Whoever calls on the, on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. So here he's, he's simplifying. He goes, well, let's have zeal with knowledge. So the man who does the law, man who's trying to keep 613 laws, he's going to live that way. He's going to fail that way. Now, this is interesting. In, in Exodus 32, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, right? He comes down the mountain. They're already in gross sin. How many people died? 3,000. 3,000. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, Pentecost Sunday. And it's another 3,000, but they don't die, they're saved. And, and it's so significant, it's saying, you know, that old way, it not, it, it's dead. It doesn't work other than just show you, you can't do it on your own. But it's, the, the idea is to realize, I give up. I give up, the battle's over. I'm going to turn to Christ now. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you ever heard of this guy named Chauvin. When Napoleon Bonaparte met his match at the Battle of Waterloo, 
He was soundly defeated. His armies was defeated. And it's over. Except for a guy named Chauvin. And he goes, oh, it's not over for me. I'm going to keep on fighting. That was years and years ago. Do you know you, you use his name to this day? You don't say Chauvin. You say Chauvinist. And a Chauvinist is someone who refuses to admit the battle's over. And so it's as if he's saying, you Jews, you're being chauvinists. You're still trying to resurrect this battle with the 613 laws, and it's over. Surrender. It's not going to work. Turn to Jesus Christ and, and him only. So now, what does zeal with knowledge look like? We saw a lot of what it doesn't look like. It looks like in, in uh, or here's our longer definition, uh, when zeal for the Lord meets understanding of how the Lord moves. So, Zechariah 4, 6, very famous verse, where God says, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's where it starts. You know, it's not psyching myself up in front of a mirror, yeah, today's going to be the day. And it's, it's like, no, it's on my knees, or it's driving in my car and saying, Lord, <laughs> I can't do this. I can't move on someone's heart. I, I surrender to you. And I'm realizing it's not my fancy words. It's not my, you know, this or that. It's just you. You're the one who can move on people's hearts. And so the, to have a zeal according to knowledge starts here, knowing it's got to be the Lord. And then it comes out in certain acts like, how about this? How about the gal pouring the perfume on the feet of Christ and just weeping in repentance while everyone else in the room is judging her? You know, that's, that's zeal according to not, because she knew who he was. She, she knew it was time to repent. She's having zeal and devotions. She's spending time with Jesus. She's not listening to tape and this. Uh, she's with Jesus, one-on-one, -on -one, getting right with him, receiving his new mercies. And everybody else, man, if he knew what kind of girl she was and this should have been sold and given to the poor and, oh my goodness. Wh which one are you in that picture? You ever wonder that? Sometimes I wonder, have I ever been the girl that spent that much money on the perfume and then just gave it unto the Lord? Or am I the one that just sits back and not doing anything except judging Someone who is loving on the Lord. But that's zeal with knowledge. She, this is the king of kings. He deserves my best. How about Jesus cleansing the temple? Now we're going to another extreme. One is zeal in devotions. This is zeal against sin. When he takes the, the whip, clears the temple, and they go, I remember it's prophesied of Christ. Zeal from my father's house will consume me. Zeal will consume me. And so maybe we could use a little more zeal in our devotions. Maybe we could use a little more zeal in our attack in our own lives about temptation and, and sin. But that's what it looks like in today's day and age. Remember I talked about my favorite TV commercial? I'm purposely making this shorter today because we want to bring up Jason Simpson and family. They're going to head back to the mission field.
This is our last Sunday together, and I've asked Jason to share a few words. So we're back to Lily. And Lily goes, hey, what's up, America? Our deals are for everyone except for you, Jacob Pearson. And Jacob goes, what? What, 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 what did I do? And sometimes you feel like that. You feel like God has all these promises for everybody but you. You're stuck in Psalm 73, where Asaph, the chief musician, I know God's good at Israel, to such as are pure in heart, but as for me, he's removing himself from God's promises. I'm different. I'm just a loser. I'm just consistent at being inconsistent, but as for me, and so you're going, what? Why, why are the promises for everybody else but me? And then Lily comes back on and scans back to her, and she goes, ah, just kidding, Jake. How does that fit into this, this sermon? God promises his forgiveness is for, for everybody. He doesn't say this morning. It's like the Holy Spirit's proclaiming. This is available to you. But he doesn't go, uh, except for you, worship leader. You're hoping I don't call on you. I, I can see it in your face right now. But it's, it's like God doesn't do that. He says, whosoever believes, all you have to do is call on his name. So I want to share something. I've never shared this before. It's called the ABCs of Salvation. My friend, Pastor J.D. Farag, Calvary Chapel, Kamiyoi, does this every sermon. And I like it because it's so simple. He says, this is how to get saved. A is for admit you're a sinner. Everybody else knows it. <laughs> you might as well admit it. All right? Now, the thing is, don't, in the Old Testament, we read, don't say peace, peace, when there is no peace. God was, was frustrated with his priests, with his prophets. He says, you're healing the, 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 the wounds of my people slightly. Meaning, they have gangrene on their leg, and you're putting a Band-Aid on it. They have cancer of the lungs, and you're putting a Band-Aid on it. You're just slightly doing it. He says, call it sin. Have you noticed that there's a, um, there's a stigma today uh, against naming sin? And Jesus, or the Old Testament, don't say peace, peace. Don't say, oh, God, you know, there's peace. When there is no peace, he's saying be real with people. And you can't say words like homosexual today without being called a homophobic. And so we, we drift in the wall, just say peace, peace. There's no peace. People have to understand there's sin. I'm not making up the rules. I'm proclaiming them. And so to, to say, well, you're, you're homophobic. No, 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 no. I love them. I've, led, I've prayed with them to receive the Lord. But I've noticed a lot of people who are Bible-phobic, they're scared to death about what the Bible says. But rather than submit to it, they want to tone it down. And so here, admit you're a sinner. Don't think, okay, I'm close enough. That's good. No, no, no. Don't heal the wounds of God's people slightly. Don't put a Band-Aid over gangrene. Deal with it. Admit, I'm a sinner. Everybody else knows it. Secondly, is believe. Just like it says here in... in Romans chapter 10, believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And you go, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Because if you read the book of Acts, every sermon 
and there's several, talks about the resurrection of the dead. Talks about, you know what's different about Jesus than Buddha, than all these others? Jesus rose from the dead. I've been to Israel. His tomb is empty. To this day, the garden tomb is still empty. That's what's so different. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. Death was the end result of sin. Remember to Adam, whoever eats the rose is going to die. Going to die. That's the end result of sin. By Jesus conquering death and raising from the dead, it shows he is the only way to, to overcome death. So what's the big deal about the resurrection? When you say it in your heart, he rose from the dead, you're also saying, I'm going to as, as well. Life does not end at the grave. You've heard me say this before. You don't have a soul. Your body doesn't have a soul. Your soul has a body. Your soul lives forever. Right now, this body's here for a few years. I'm not predicting any timeline. Just, it's just temporal. But your soul will live forever. Your soul lives beyond the grave. Your soul is what's eternal and will spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven with Jesus Christ or in hell with Satan and his fallen angels. Your body doesn't have a soul. Your soul has a body. Right now it's temporary. But you're going to have, as Christians, this eternal body that God says already it's glorified in his sight it's good as done so you believe and then you confess you call upon the Lord and all this means it's just a simple prayer of surrender it doesn't mean you got it all figured out it doesn't mean yeah man I just I finally see it all beginning to end it says for me it was more like I realize that at this point in my life there's more and, and there's truth I already know and I'm not living to it and I need to surrender and freshly to Jesus Christ. So I didn't know the end. I didn't know anything about ecclesiology and all these things, all these big words in the Bible I just, or in, in theology. I just knew it's time to get right with God. You've probably heard my story. I was driving my GTO. I was on the freeway. My buddy's next to me playing his guitar. And I simply, I did not close my eyes. I simply prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. That's all I knew. I had been raised in church. I had been an altar boy, Catholic school, all that kind of stuff. I knew a lot about Christ. I didn't know him. And so, there's this verse that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You hear it? Hear my voice? Open up. Could it be he's knocking on your door this morning? Could it be right now he says, Can we be real? We're not here to put on a show. I'm not going to say, Get behind me, Satan. He's saying, Open up. I want to come in. And then that, that simple prayer of surrender and the promise, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to close in prayer right now and give you an opportunity to do just that. Let's bow. Lord Jesus, this could be someone's last sermon ever. Father, could your Holy Spirit now examine every heart in this room 
are we where we are supposed to be with you? Lord, if not, may you knock on doors right now. May you knock on hearts right now and give that glimmer of hope and of faith for folks to turn to you, receive you. So as we're still praying, is there anyone here right now who wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? You've never done this or you drifted. You're saying right now before God, I'm saying, yes, Lord, I hear you knocking on the door of my heart, and I'm answering the door. Could you just raise your hand if that's you? So we want to pray for you. Is there anyone? Okay, well, while we're still in prayer, uh, there's a gal who used to go to this church, now goes to the mission, still goes to our youth group. Uh, Malia Thompson was in a very bad uh, horse accident this morning. Was on her way to the hospital as we were meeting. Father, we lift up Malia. We lift up Marty and Shalom. God, may your, your healing, healing hand be upon her. And we pray for comfort for the entire family, even for Emma serving in missions on, in Africa. But Lord, may you heal and, and remove any pain. And actually, could this turn into a wonderful time of drawing closer to you? We know you love that family. May your presence be felt, your hope, your favor. In Jesus' name, amen.